Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back, finally, to Coral Chihuahua. Play the jingle. We don't need the jingle. We've just got Eamon here. I, just, I haven't done that for such a long time. It's nice to be back. And, and and look, this is both of us in the studio. There's no Harry, but Eamon and I in the studio. When I say studio, I mean my office in my house, uh, somewhere in York. Um, so you're very welcome to my, my house. Thank you very much for having me. Very nice to be here. But no Harry. Harry's a busy boy, isn't he? You were telling me. He is. Harry has been uh, very busy, no more so than in the last week when he stood in for Sir Simon Rattle, uh, conducting two performances of The Creation with the uh, London Symphony Orchestra and London Symphony Chorus. Uh, and he's busy as well at the moment doing Genesis 16 auditions. So I'm sure we'll get him back uh, before too long. Which uh, is where you'd normally be as well. And we can talk about Genesis 16 briefly later on. This is very much just a sort of getting back in the in the swing of it episode. Um, and we can start with some music. Uh, and the question is, Eamon, did you have a top track through lockdown? Or was there one particular choral moment that you remember? Obviously, choral moments have been difficult in the last two years, but we have sort of been doing it. Yeah, there was a track that I discovered and stood out for me. And I listened to it. I can't think how many times. Uh, not what one might expect. Um, this is a wonderful arrangement um, by a chap called Tom Lowen uh, with a group called the Oxford Gargoyles, and this is a song called My Narrow Man. Tall and pretty in skinny blue jeans You're the kind of boy I'd like to be your kiss is sweeter than fizzy pink wine Look better in my fishnets than me My narrow man My narrow man Tall and lovely with baby brown eyes Audrey Hepburn's got nothing on you Your smile is a splinter and I'll hold you close Or the winter might snap you in two My narrow man my narrow man Badum. And your sweet smiling shadow Is the light I have of me I am the man 
Welsh army coat that has General Jones spitting teeth. Light as a feather, you'll fight to the death to defend your poetic belief. My narrow man. My narrow man. That was My Narrow Man, performed by the Oxford Gargoyles, uh, an arrangement of the Gwyneth Herbert song by Tom Lowen. Oxford Gargoyles, a close harmony uh, group made up of mostly undergraduates from the University of Oxford. Um, They've been around for about 23 years, various albums released. They audition new members uh, each year, so it's quite a a rapid turnover, but wonderful. And just such a feel-good song. I really love it. I have sympathy with anyone thinking about being a narrow man. I am a narrow man myself. Um, I just can't help listening to that. Well, two questions. Do you know when that was recorded? Was that recorded in lockdown? Was it one of those projects? Yeah, it was one of those projects. So it was recorded in isolation, each member recording their own part and then very brilliantly knitted together. Uh, so there's a video that you can see on YouTube with uh, you know the, the individual heads um, performing wherever they were. Um, and yeah, it's. I just I, I came across it um, when I met some of the some of the gargoyles as they or the gargs as they like to be known, and I just I kind of fell in love with it, and I just kept on listening to it. I think it's got a real feel good quality, and in you know in the last couple of years, it was a, a song that really yeah lifted my spirits. From when when you and I were at university in different different decades, we should just point out. Close Harmony wasn't as good as that. Now, okay, so that's produced, that's hyper-produced, has to be because of the way they put it together. But they're a pretty, pretty damn slick group when you hear them live. Um, they've just got better at Close Harmony, haven't they? I mean, American groups, actually. I mean, we have a lot of North American listen, uh, listeners listening. Um, I'm going to Middlebury College, Vermont, and hearing the Dissipated Eight in 99. And similarly, I mean, not much stage presence, but 
goodness me, they really knew what they were doing vocally. So I think it's just something, perhaps a North American influence, but they just got better at it. Yeah, definitely North American influence. I mean, I think a show like Glee, uh, you know, really showed people that what Close Harmony could be like or should be like, maybe. And I think certainly, I mean, it was very rough and ready when, when I did it, you know, and probably when you did it as well. It was just a bit of fun. It's a much more serious enterprise now. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And we'll, we'll actually come back to that a little bit later in the programme because it's it's got us thinking a little bit. Um, you were in Oxford some of the time of the last two years. You were at Queen's College, weren't you? You've been stepping in Queen's College, Oxford. That's right. I um, I did a term uh, covering for Owen Rees, who was on uh, parental leave, uh, and it couldn't have come at a, a better time. I was actually, this was during... Um, 2020 um, during the lockdown there I was actually working as a a delivery driver for Tesco a little three month stint and I was on my lunch break and an email came in from Owen asking whether I'd be able to step in for into his shoes for a term which of course I was absolutely delighted to do and it was such a pleasure uh, partly just to get back uh, in a room and actually singing with uh, you know working with some singers live even though we were socially distanced in the chapel and, and actually wearing masks as well um, but it was great fun and a really wonderful group of students to work with uh, who sang incredibly well under very challenging circumstances. And that was where I met uh, a few members of the choir were in the Oxford Gargoyles and they introduced me um, to that track. Um, but there's a link here to you as well, Robert, because the arranger, Tom Lowen, uh, is someone who I believe did your uh, master's in ensemble singing at York. That's right. Um, goodness, talented guy. And uh, he did his own lockdown projects, actually. There were things of nine of him singing this, that and the other from very, very high to, to very, very low. It was strange. I'm sure people listening have their own uh, things that they remember from the last two years. Actually, the most extraordinary one I saw was a, a celloist just doing a sort of carol mashup um, of such extraordinary virtuosity. I mean, just musical virtuosity, aside from just the whole engineering, how do you get that sort of thing together? And a lot of things sort of came out of came out of the cupboard, uh, skills you didn't know people had. I mean, if you think about the whole Voce's eight Live from London series, um, who knew that Barney and Paul could put that together? Well, I don't think they did for a start. Um, first thing Barney had to do was learn how to use, uh, was it Pro, Pro Tools, which is an um, editing program. But he hadn't done any filming before. And, uh, you know, people just pulled these skills out of the hat and learned as, as best they could uh, to keep us all going. Now, look, here we are. We're in the room for the first time, but we're here for a reason, aren't we? Because you're you're up in York at the moment working with... I'm working with the University Choir. Um, you very kindly invited me to come and work with them for their summer concert. So we're going to be performing Dvorak's Starbat Mater in York Minster um, in June. Which... Not, not a piece I think any of us knew before. No, it's something that's been on my radar for years, um, having done bits of it. Um, I actually remember conducting a, a, a section of it for... Uh, a choral society job audition many many years ago um, and I'd always thought that I wanted to to explore it but it's one of those pieces where you know the Starbuck Martyr text I know it from singing you know the Palestrina or an area setting and more recently James Macmillan's incredibly powerful setting mm. um, and sometimes with these romantic works it's a little difficult to find a way to connect the music to the text um, and certainly part of the reason for uh, John Studzinski commissioning James McMillan to write... John who? John Studzinski, the founder and a director of the Genesis Foundation. One of the reasons that he commissioned James to write his Starbuck Mater was he, heard, he was at a performance of the Rossini Starbuck Mater and thought that the music didn't say anything in relation mm. to the text. Mm. Um, 
so I think that's one of the challenges for us to find a way that works for us to connect the music and the text and uh, try and see where Dvorak was coming from. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there is a, a very strong personal link, just a bit of background to it, is that Dvorak lost three children in the two years before he wrote this. Um, so as a text, it spoke obviously very, very directly and powerfully to him. And I think the choir are enjoying working on it. Again, for them, it's great. It's their first project in, in over two years, I think, except for the one that you did one with them last year. Yes, I term. kicked them off. Of course, this is the choir that's conducted by Peter Seymour for decades, and he's now recently retired. So I think this year, people listening out there, it must be the same, you know, just trying to get a concert off the ground without it being cancelled the week before just seems like a major achievement. So we did Foray Requiem um, uh, in, in December, and now you've taken over on this project. And because it's I mean, Foray Requiem, a nice sort of safe piece to start with, everyone sort of has that in their bones. But I, I don't know whether any of the choir had sung this, this before. One of the, the pluses of you coming up is that the 24, my audition choir at the University of York, rehearses just before, and you've been able to drop in a couple of times uh, just to sort of give us a couple of top tips. Um, and we were, we were working on some Vaughan Williams, weren't we, when you came in? That's right, the three Shakespeare songs. Uh, I think you were in preparation for a concert. Uh, they were sounding fantastic. And I'm loath to say it, but... Actually, I'm not loath to say it at all. Um, but... All the work that you have done uh, on tempered tuning uh, is clearly standing in really good stead because all the rehearsals that I've heard of the 24, they haven't got sung out of tune at all at any point. It, it does seem to be a thing that we've put behind us. Um, knowing where to put your major thirds and your minor thirds. Oh, we're not going to get into that now. I'm not going to start showing you piano thirds and all that kind of thing. Um, not that kind of programme, but it has made a difference. Anyway, let's just hear a little bit of that because the concert was in fact last week. And here's the second and third of Vaughan Williams's three Shakespeare songs.
second and third of Ralph von Williams's three Shakespeare songs sung in the Sir Jack Lyons Concert Hall by the 24, all 27 of them. Um, it's just like the 16 yes. nowadays. Yeah. Yes, isn't it? Yes. Uh, from uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and yeah, I think th- two things about that performance, the tuning. In, in at that moment, the cloud cap towers, all those sort of slightly rebellion, um, which is why it was in the programme, the programme was otherwise French music, all those, those um, harmony changes. There are a lot of semitones in them, a lot of tertiary shifts, things moving from... What? It's a Pavlovian reaction now. Whenever I hear you say tertiary shift, I have to do that sort of uh, martial arts kind of crow stance. Ah, yes. We should yeah. show the tertiary shift. Here's one. That's a tertiary shift. It seems to require a certain martial arts movement with it uh, in Eamon's strange brain. Um, but that's fine. Anyway, we seem to have... We seem to know where to put those semitones. And the other thing about it is, is just the delivery of diphthongs, the cloud-capped towers. Don't pull that face at me when I say diphthongs. Um, the cloud-capped towers. Diphthongs seem to be out of fashion. And I've, after years of thinking about not very much else, I think the thing about diphthongs is you don't have to go very far. You don't have to sing the cloud towers. But you have to start them early enough. And what choirs seem to do is shift them right to the end of the note. The cloud cap towers. And I think bring them in early is nice. Let's just hear those words again, the cloud cap towers. You can't, you can't beat a good diphthong. I mean, I've got young children. I don't get out much nowadays, so I have to get my thrills whichever way I can. And a good diphthong really does it for me. Or even a triphthong or a quadrithong. That's my new clothing range for keen consort singers. <laughs> um, 16, been, been busy-ish things to do in recent times? Yes, we're sort of back up and running. Um, and the choral pilgrimage will be kicking off uh, next month. This is the annual tour. Yes, the annual tour, which we take... Uh, um, our programme for this year is based around uh, Hubert Parry's Songs of Farewell, but alongside um, some uh, songs by Thomas Campion uh, and some more um, sort of rustic medieval carols as well. And we're going to come back to that tour because there's a new release out of those Parry settings and we'll talk about that a little bit in the next next episode. Um, uh, it's just when people say tour, I mean, Katie Derham said it to me yesterday, uh, uh, good luck with the tour. And... It's such an easy word. I just can't help thinking in this world the amount of admin required to produce any concert uh, these days with all the problems of spacing and all that kind of thing and, and the risk that it might not go ahead. Um, one thing that I think we both know has been happening a lot since concerts have been put on again is singers are still getting ill with other things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just horrendous colds and this, that and the other. So respect basically to anyone out there who is doing concerts uh, at the moment, it's just a matter of willpower almost uh, almost to get through them. Um, Fagellini's been doing things off and on. Uh, we've been doing film things still. We're about to film our next project, which is called Goost, um, which is uh, taking a 1590s carnival mask and sort of resetting that in the, in the 1920s. But also just the whole money-raising thing. I mean, you, you talked about um, the Genesis patron. Um, uh, 
the constant needing to find money. I mean, there's just no state, very little state sponsorship for choral music uh, in, in, in the UK. So that's just a constant thing as well. We're all doing either crowdfunding or trying to raise money privately or trying to get something from the Arts Council, which can, of course, come with strings attached. Um, so it is, a, uh, it is a thing. But Genesis 16 that you referred to at the beginning, just, just quickly tell us what that is. Yeah, so Genesis 16 is the training scheme for young singers run by the 16. Again, this is a, um, another uh, benefit of our collaboration with, uh, with John Studzinski. So John Studzinski is this American philanthropist who founded the Genesis Foundation many years ago, and they do a huge amount of, of incredible work, much of which is in terms of supporting the arts. Um, and he said to Harry uh, some years ago, he wanted to know what he could do to help the group. And Harry and I had been discussing how the uh, the nature of singers coming into uh, into the the profession of, of of coming in to be ensemble singers was changing. They tended to come either with good voices, but not necessarily the full skill set, or the skill set, but not necessarily the voices. So that, yeah, that's quite a sort of a truism, isn't it? Of really the last fifty years of yeah. of this world. If you think about well, one of the pre- previous programs we did was on the Talis Scholars and Harry and then, um, sorry, Peter Phillips and then Sally Dunkley talked about the early days of it and the skill set coming from a university background of singing a service every day and specifically a lot of 16th century music as opposed to the conservatoire background of having lots and lots of time on your voice but not necessarily knowing what to do in a choir. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, with the way... The changes to the education system in this country, the basic levels of, of musicianship are, I think, are lower than they were. I don't think there's any, there's no reason to, you know, not acknowledge that. Um, I think While at the same time accepting that we just heard some close harmony that is better than anything you or I could have done 30 years ago. It's a mix, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So this idea of, of having this scheme which would uh, help just... It was in some sense to you know bridge the gap between student and professional practitioner, but also just to enhance those skills and looking for people who have maybe got the the capacity but not necessarily the experience. Um, so and we work very intensively with them. We just meet four times a year. It's two week long courses and then two long weekends, and we go into the music in great detail. Um, I mean, like really sort of you know forensic detail to work and help develop the skills and show show the singers what the level at which they need to be working and also thinking about the music. Well, let's hear a little bit of that because this is an even song from this is a piece from even from a few months ago. Yeah, so this was recorded in the church of St Alban the Martyr, uh, just off High Holborn. Oh, a wonderful church. Very resonant. Yeah, very uh, resonant. Home of Finzi singers recordings of the 1990s. Uh-huh. Yes. Right. In- yeah. Incredibly resonant. And the music And this is uh, a setting of Psalm 56 by Bernard Hughes. Bernard Hughes, uh, who is, um, he's actually on the music staff at St Paul's Girls' School, but a wonderful composer, I think, with a really um, telling and uh, individual voice. The anthem is a setting of Psalm 56 by Bernard Hughes. Follow me up, 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 follow me up
That was Psalm 56 by Bernard Hughes uh, in a performance broadcast BBC Evensong uh, from the Church of St Alban the Martyr, performed by Genesis 16 with me, Eamon Dugan, conducting. One of the things, you know, I was a chorister at Hereford for five years and then sang on the back row there for two years. Then I rang, uh, sang three years at New College Oxford and I think I know this world terribly well. But actually I'm out of date um, because I haven't been to an Evensong admission for quite a long time. And I certainly haven't sung in an Eden song. By the way, Robert Sharp, I am available uh, for York Minster if you need a countertenor at any stage. Why is that funny? Um, and a piece like that is fascinating because it's so it's so demanding of the ear. You have to follow it. You can't try and do anything else while you're listening to that. The textures are constantly changing. It starts very bravely with just a sort of parlando um, uh, writing. But it's also, it's, it's, it's polyphonic. And I have this thing about polyphony that I think composers generally like to write it um, and listeners find it difficult to listen to. Um, polyphony is the art of, of the, as a singer, or it's like so high level online gaming, which is another thing I know nothing about at all. <laughs> but there you go. In that you're doing something and at the same time responding to someone else, which affects what you do and how you were doing it. Um, and but that's hard for a listener. We had a show many years ago, well, you were in it called Talis in Wonderland, which was about trying to let an audience understand what it was like to be in a piece of polyphony. Um, but that piece has got just about everything in it, those lovely textures at the end. Uh, you were conducting. Uh, what does it feel like to conduct a piece like that? Energising, I think. There's a lot of, well, there's a lot of energy in that piece, and that partly comes from uh, the way Bernard uses metre. Um, I think he adapts it really in a really intelligent, uh, but also very natural feeling way to, to fit the shape of the language. So there's lots of combinations of two fours and three fours, but lots of five eights and seven eights thrown in as well, um, which keeps you on your toes rhythmically. I saw a tweet recently. Somebody had written um, five eight is a much underrated time signature. And the first person who liked it was Bernard Hughes. <laughs> which I, <laughs> I quite enjoyed. But the interesting thing is, whereas in, 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 a, in a piece of instrumental music, a five eight would sort of stand out. Maybe I'm just sort of thinking Stravinsky here but in a piece like that it simply reflects the text so you don't actually as a listener get a sense of something terribly disjointed swallow me up swallow me up okay but that's very very in your face because it's because it's in unison but actually it just feels like good word setting exactly that it feels very natural and you're not really you're not really aware of it mm. um, but I love that you picked up on the fact that it's got counterpoint in it as well um, and I think the the final section is just very very beautiful one interesting fact, uh, thing that he does with it as well is that he mixes up the order of the text. So the text that the singers uh, perform actually includes the dedication at the beginning of the psalm uh, to the chief musician. And that is chanted uh, by the sopranos and altos against uh, a, a sort of lovely cantabile line in the bass part, uh, which is actually text from the psalm itself. So it's very interesting and inventive from that point of view as well. Now, of course, you can listen back on Choral Chihuahua. Let's play another jingle. Day up down, day up down. You 
can listen back. But that particular recording uh, of the whole Eden song isn't available anymore. I think that's past it. Unfortunately not. But so we were very grateful to Ben Collingwood, producer at the BBC, for furnishing us with that recording. And the BBC singers, in fact, have made a recording of of Bernard Hughes' music, which is out on the Signum label already. Paul Bruff conducting. That's right. Paul Bruff conducting BBC singers on Signum. And the Epiphany Consort have recently recorded a whole disc of Bernard's works, which is coming out... Yes, coming out on the 27th of May on Delphian. 27th of May Delphian with Tim Reader, formerly of this parish, also did the uh, um, MA in solo voice ensemble singing here at the University of York. Uh, yeah, 27th of May that's coming out. So if you're interested in Bernard Hughes's music um, and a quick Google and you'll find him uh, website, no doubt, and uh, so easy to get scores these days, you can have a PDF in a matter of minutes, hours. That's right. Published by Novello, that, that particular piece. Fine. Okay, good to know. Um, we started off with a piece of close harmony, which is not something that this uh, programme has looked at before. And I've had a text as we're speaking, because I didn't credit the singer at the beginning. Um, Tom Lowen has, has texted in, Lorelei Piper was the singer at the beginning. And it struck me just how easy she was in that part. Um, uh, and I don't know, maybe it's a thing that when we were doing close harmony, actually we did have sopranos, but I suppose we often had countertenors on the top. Maybe maybe close harmony arrangements is something we'll get back to. If you've got an extraordinary, really unusual or striking close harmony arrangement, a cappella please, um, send it in. Dissipated eight. If you're out there, I'd be very glad to know what you're doing 23 years on because uh, I, we really, really enjoyed your performance when we were out at, at uh, Middlebury in... In 1999 it was. Gosh, my daughter was six months old, I remember that. Um, But we're going to finish with another Close Harmony setting. This, from the University of York. This is an undergraduate group called Vox. And this was was a project. This was another um, produced, um, bit-by-bit recorded project, but this from about five years ago. Uh, Producer, arranger, everything really, was Josh Medine, a singularly talented uh, individual. And there are so many tracks on this CD that I absolutely adore. And in the end, we're going to go for a slightly obvious one because it's just such a a feel-good thing. This is um, Michael Jackson's I Want You Back. Oh, in the I didn't 
you back sung by Vox who are giving a concert this week at the University of York but that's from a few years ago Josh Medine produced it's quite something isn't it it's absolutely incredible I love it I mean the rhythmic invention of it is something but just the sheer joy in their performance that's I mean as we were saying earlier that they seem to be more comfortable in those skins than we were in in our days and uh Syl Pybus and Nikki Gaskin singing their singing the main tune there there's there's a joy in it, but there's just total vocal appropriateness. But Sylv would happily sing your Handelaria. I remember discovering this with um, with Gabriel Crouch at, at Princeton. His singers very at home in very, very different vocal skins. Really interesting. Yeah, well, that's a necessity for any singer nowadays, isn't it? To be vocally flexible. Everything from, a, you know, I mean, every week is so different. You know, you can be singing Bach one day, Berio the next. We, we've got to be able to do it all in a well, sense. Well, certainly in our world, and there's a discussion about, I suppose you know, what conservatoires are preparing people for that we could maybe go into another time. Um, but yeah, flexibility is the game. Um, and I was interested to play that one because uh, on the bass line, along with George Clark, Tom Lowen, who also arranged um, Hollow Man, Narrow Man? Uh, my Narrow Man. My Narrow Man, not my Hollow Man. That's a film, isn't it? Um, but you know, I, I, look at the, I look at the singers that particular year in Vox, and we're going to know some of those names. Jane, James Botcher, who's doing the, the beatboxing, George Clark is singing leader mostly in Germany at the yeah. moment. Um, Sam Gilead about to sing with Fagellini for the first time. Um, uh, Tom Lone, Josh, of course. Rosie Parker, now the new alto in Stile Antico. Um, Olivia Turberg, known more as a harpist. Um, they're they're, they're, they're going to be people we will see in a few years' time. You saw them here first. That list of names that you just mentioned there, uh, I know Ella Rainbird early was also singing on that performance. Um, that's four ex-Genesis 16 singers uh, taking part in that project so you know there's some great great lineage there yeah and I, I was just thinking of those bass lines actually those very active bass lines that you, almost impossible to write down but uh, Roderick Williams used to write bass lines like that for the Balfour chorus in his Stevie Wonder arrangements well maybe that'll be a, a, a small feature um, uh, interesting close harmony arrangements maybe maybe we should pick up with that should we do next time Thanks for rejoining us. And uh, next time we're going to be talking about two new releases by the 16 and E. Fagellini, one of Hubert Parry 
and one of John Wilby. See you then. Bye for now. Cool Chihuahua is brought to you by Ifagellini and the Sixteen and produced by Perseus the Sixteen, Ifagellini and Polyphonic Films. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.